Hi everyone! Welcome once again to Bestowing the Brush. I'm Dallas Noctigal. Thank you for those of you who were able to get on Instagram this past weekend. I did a really fun live event where I walked through my nature notebook and you were all there. You had comments, they were lovely, you had questions. And I may not have gotten to them all. I'm sorry if I didn't get yours, but the good thing about me is that I'm a person with fingers and I can message you back if you direct message me. So do that if you have a pressing question. I can definitely try to answer. But most of all, it was just a really fun activity to get to do on a Saturday morning. There were beautiful snowflakes falling down outside. My children were off with the grandparents, and so they were having a great time too. And we just got to waltz through that, and it's really been awesome for me to look back on that. I, upcoming, will have a reflection narration session on that, and it will be in the form of a podcast. And so you'll get to hear some of the stories more in depth that go along with the illustrations. Also, there were some distinct benefits to doing this that I did not anticipate that were unrelated to what I thought nature journaling would be. So please tune into that. But for today, this is a part two of that conversation that I was having last time with Cody Wheelock quickly if you can think back to what we were talking about can you recall what was the topic ah I heard someone think a thought out there you're right we were talking about the beauty sense we had just gotten into that that's where we're beginning here today and I always highly recommend tea while you listen to this I think it enhances the listening experience so enjoy the show talk a little bit about this documentary we both watched Mm -hmm. this is roger scruton am i saying his last name correctly yes scruton on the bbc in 2009 you guys all have to watch it there's a little bit of content in it that you'll need to decide if it's for your children or not and some nudity but definitely not shown in a glorifying light just more of an object lesson on that front but Cody, where, what did he talk about in that? What did he have to say about the beauty sense? Well, Roger Scruton is a philosopher, and he studies this idea of beauty. And where does it come from? And, and what's interesting to me is I don't think he ever identifies as a Christian or any from any sort of religious tradition or anything like that. He's just simply interested in this idea of uh, innate beauty, you know, this beauty sense. And so what I find so interesting about this documentary is that he takes a lot of examples and kind of shows you, you know, um, this is kind of how people thought back in this time period and look at how their, all the objects around them reflected the way that they think. So back then, you know, by, by back then, I mean, a hundred, 150 years and prior to that you know you go to i've never been to paris but i've heard a lot of people say you go to paris where everything's so old you know and it's just absolutely beautiful 
and it's just gorgeous. My wife's been to Spain and she says, it's gorgeous. You know, everything's 500 years old, but, uh, you know, every little detail in the architecture, everything is just beautiful. Uh, And then you kind of look at how our ideas, like mainstream culture's ideas of beauty has changed throughout time to where you get in mid 20th century. And, you know, I don't know about you, but when I, when I drive through a bunch of mid 20th century buildings, it's depressing almost. They're just boxes, gray boxes, you know, essentially. And it's like, where did all of this beauty go? You know, it's very utilitarian and only serves a purpose and not much more than that. Yeah. He talks about, you know, function over form basically. Um, you know, what effect does that have on us as a society? Mm-hmm. Um, and what would happen if we were constantly surrounded by beautiful things again? And how would that change the way that we view the world and yeah. whatnot? Um, and then an idea that I liked was he was in some back alley somewhere in England talking about the graffiti on these these spaces that we've been mm-hmm. talking about, these utilitarian type box buildings. He alluded to the fact that he thought this this is how people are reacting against this environment. They don't see it as beautiful. They don't cherish it. And so that almost makes me think too of our disregard for nature now and our environment, our beautiful natural environments Mm -hmm. aren't. And there's, there's litter all over the place. Anytime we're out on a nature walk in my local area, it's kind of trashed and dilapidated and I, I kind of want to go into the despair of why, why does this happen? But Damn. when you're not in those spaces often and appreciating them, why would you care? Right. And why would you, why would you take a moment to? Yeah, just the, uh, yesterday morning was driving to work with the kids in the back and we were going down the road and there was a, uh, a boy and a girl and they were probably teenagers, I'm guessing. They looked about 17, 18 years old and, they had a like a big gulp type cup and oh, whoop, no. just threw it right over the shoulder <gasps> into the grass. Oh wow! I mean, we're in town, so not only are you just littering, but you're throwing it on someone's property, which is yeah. I just couldn't believe it. Oh wow! But I thought wow. Yeah. Know? I mean, I know not everyone is like that, and thankfully, I think that some attitudes have changed a little bit toward the environment recently, which is good. Um, but I definitely think. There's a, been a long stretch of time where we've just neglected the environment. But one thing I find kind of interesting is that, so there's this new, newfound kind of idea that, oh, we need to protect our environment, right? And I know it's not like something that's happened in the last year, but it's, you know, it's recently within the scope of history, it's fairly recent that we're concerned about the environment. And um, so that's happened. And then we talked about architecture, right? So we talked about how mid 20th century architecture is just very, very blah and all about the the function. But yet, if you look at some architecture today, to me anyway, I'm seeing a lot more interesting stuff being built. Mm -hmm. It's a lot more beautiful and aesthetic. I look at this atelier method type style where we're using nature as our standard that we're aiming for and that type of thing. And the last 10 or 15 years that has become very popular again this idea of going back to nature with art and doing things that are skill-based and craftsman based and you look at you know i know we've discussed it before restaurants how big chains are closing and everyone's going to the farm to table type restaurants and Mm -hmm. there's a newfound appreciation for handmade things and so you talk about the pendulum Mm -hmm. and i really think that we're kind of swinging back a little bit toward hopefully an appreciation for beauty yeah. And, and things like that. 
time will tell, I guess. But yeah, hopefully we can build up the generation below us and beyond to at least draw better. Right. You know. Yeah. To gosh, get talking this... a lot of weighty stuff. And, I <laughs> you know. know. I'm about drawing here. Yeah. Do well, I just mean there? like you know we're talking about some of these ideas are quote unquote big ideas. Yeah. A little bit heavier topics. We're talking mm-hmm. about the nature of beauty. Like that's a huge thing to talk about and trying yes. to wrap your mind around, right? Yes. But. We're also talking about the simple act of drawing, you know, making yeah. a mark on a piece of paper with a pencil. Simple. Yeah. But yet doing things like that leads mm-hmm. to all of these other things is like a chain reaction. I agree. Which is why, you know, yeah. I think we're in agreement why it's so important for mm-hmm. people to, to draw and to keep things like sketchbooks and for kids to be engaged with art. And mm-hmm. it's not a little craft, you know, it's not something where, hey, let's go make a craft project over here you know no Mm -hmm. let's you know this has real meaning and Mm -hmm. uh, value you know hopefully we can start to change some people's minds and yeah that we would dwell on these things of beauty through the simple means of drawing and doing this recreating and I guess narration in the way of translating those things onto paper you know and I think too about those images being cemented in our minds and shaping our yeah absolutely. our beauty sense even like you said with the classical sculptures that are in the atelier system mm-hmm. trying to cultivate that and and that it's all very purposeful and thought out in that way to train them to yeah. think with those standards in mind absolutely i mean i, I think about um you know i mentioned that i like to go plein air painting so yeah. if i pull out a plein air painting that i did three years ago and even if it's just a little sketch and i would never show it in a gallery or uh, put it in a show or anything like that i can still look at it and i can go back and i, I don't know why but i can recall what the what it felt like that day the mm. temperature the what sounds i was hearing what smells there were it's amazing how when you stop and you observe something very carefully for a couple hours two or three hours and with a, a high amount of focus, your brain captures all of that. And so it's exactly like what you said, where you're, if you're going out into nature, doing things like that and drawing and whatnot, you're capturing all of these things in your mind. And it really does kind of cultivate a aesthetic, a taste. It's really important stuff. And when you think about drawing, it's so awesome because, I mean, anyone can draw or everyone can draw, right? Like it's, it, there's no socioeconomic barriers to drawing right Mm -hmm. it's a pencil and a piece of paper anyone can go get a piece of pencil or a piece of paper and a pencil Mm -hmm. Um, doesn't matter your race doesn't matter where you live doesn't matter how much money your family has anyone this is something everyone can do which is really neat yeah so So then i think too of a lot of times maybe the conservation issue is just arbitrary Hmm. if you haven't given the person a reason to appreciate Sure. Thing. Yeah. So then I tend to think that drawing can bridge those two ideas yeah. of, well, why don't we get people drawing so mm-hmm. that they can eventually conserve and then produce more beauty because there's more of it to look upon and to echo back. And yeah, like you said, in our pre-roll conversation, we were talking about this book called Modern Art and the Death of a Culture by H.R. Rookmaker, maker, Rookmaker, which came first, the chicken or the egg type of deal. Does the environment mm-hmm. affect the artist or does the artist mm-hmm. affect the environment? Is that it is both? Interesting. And so I tend to think it's 
kind of simple things like that that could change our minds yeah. about. And Russ can believe that too. As I read through this book, he really didn't think that being in nature and drawing nature was to learn how to draw. He thought it was to learn to appreciate mm. nature, but yeah. using the means of drawing and recapturing. Yeah. I find that to be interesting. Yeah, I think it's great. Okay. But I do want to talk about something else. Oh, sure. Critique. How do you build that into your process in the school you work at and in your private studio? Mm-hmm. Well, the critique is a critical tool that I think is underused because we live in a society where you don't want to step on people's toes and you don't want to offend them. Um, but you don't get better unless you get feedback, outside feedback on things. Firm believer of that. And so I, I try to incorporate it as much as I can. Sometimes it's very informal critique. Sometimes it's more formal where we've got a group of people that we gather up and we put the artwork on easels and we sit in front of it and we talk about it, which is sometimes a little scary. Critiques can be very intimidating to people, but I think it goes back to that idea of uh, being able to embrace failure and know that it's not a bad word, you know, like it's not the F word. No, the oh, true that's good. Word. Yeah, that's right. I like that. <laughs> yeah. I think, uh, you know, I'm a big Husker football fan. One thing that Scott Frost says is he says, um, have the desire to excel and no fear of failure, which I love. I think that's great. You can apply yeah. that to anything. Right. Um, but critiques are, are just, uh, they're really important. So we, I try and do, uh, in progress critiques as much as possible because what's a critique all about? It's about getting feedback, right? Um, in process. In process. Not once you're all complete. Yeah. And, you know, I thought, I, I mean, we, we, I think we did critiques in progress and stuff in, in college, but I remember doing an awful lot of critiques when you're completely done too. And you're getting all of this information, feedback from people on your artwork. And you're like, oh, I thought I was done. You know, I thought we're done. Yeah. Like, you know, we're moving yeah. on as soon as we're done with this critique. Um, but I really like to try and do in progress critiques because then the, that person can actually take that feedback and put it to good use. Um, I feel like you really have to do some educating on how to do a critique though, because mm. I feel like people today struggle with how to do that because we're so afraid of offending people. So I, I spend a lot of time with my students talking about, this is what a constructive comment looks like, where you know I try to always make sure if I'm going to make a critical comment, um, I always try to make sure that I have some positive comments as well. Um, to kind of balance that out. You know, I think that anyone who's done any sort of formal art school type stuff in colleges and stuff has heard about a horror story and a critique where an instructor has completely belittled a student for whatever they did. And yes. I don't think or earlier. Happened. Yeah. Yeah. Or earlier, which is even, Sadly. even worse. You yes. Know. I truly believe that a ton of people could have been drawing and painting had it not been for one misled oh, critique or comment that was unhelpful and a dig at their yeah, character absolutely i mean i know that you uh really like drawing on the right side of the brain yeah by betty edwards mm -hmm. right and i i believe in that book she talks about how uh most adults draw at like a 12 year old level or whatnot because that's about the time that kids are becoming aware self-conscious and worried about what other people think and if you do a bad drawing and someone makes fun of it that's it <laughs> You and know? frustrated themselves yeah. that they're not getting it to look the way they want. They're right. to that point 
mm-hmm. where, ooh, this isn't matching what I see in reality. And yeah. I'm looking at this critically. So I must be bad at it, right? So what's the point of yeah. doing it? Yeah. Yeah. So these critiques are, are, are really important. And, uh, you know, what's really interesting that I didn't expect is that I um, have had more success in critiques with my 13, 12, 13, 14 year old students than I have with adults or older teenagers. Receiving the critique or giving, the work after. Like being giving. vocal in a critique and giving Oh, feedback. getting it from them Yeah, yeah. to like, critique another. Right. Uh, but also um, being willing to make a comment that's constructive, you know, criticism, but constructive because we talk about how, you know, how to do that, you know, making positive comments as well and celebrating things that they each other are doing. Mm-hmm. And they're so much better at it than the older kids. And I think it's because you're, ca- you're ca- catching them at a younger wow. age where yeah. they haven't been so hardened by this idea that I'm so scared about, you know, getting, you know, people saying negative things about my work or yeah. offending anyone about their work and that type of thing. Yeah. So, yeah, I think it's, isn't that such a great life skill to have to be able to take feedback Absolutely. and, you know, In understand so that it's areas. not a personal attack yeah. uh, on you. Well, when you're, yes, I think if the comments can be kept to the thing. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the time we're kind of married to the thing we made. But if you can say something, for example, like, give me an example of what you would say a good line of critique would be. Yeah. So uh, if I was looking at a, a, a student's artwork, the first thing that I'll do is I'll look and I'll, I'll, um, I teach my students to do an analysis of each other's work and look for three different things. So, uh, and I kind of structure some of my instruction around this idea of uh, three things that every great artwork has. Concept, good artwork has a really good idea behind it. I personally, I believe that um, artwork is visual communication. So you're communicating an idea or message. What that message could be the idea of the concept of beauty, like we were talking about you know, previously. Or it could be telling a story, you know. But there's some idea that's being communicated. Uh, and then the design. So formally, how well is it designed? Is there a focal point? Are things balanced? Are things, do your, does your eye flow throughout the structure of the picture? Um, things like that. And then uh, the, the execution or craftsmanship is the third thing. Um, so how well is it made? Is it made with skill? That type of thing. So. We look at it that way. So what I'll do is I'll, I'll try and find uh, what did that student do the best. So, hey, you know what? Your proportions in this drawing are really well done. You know, our goal for this particular assignment was to have, draw a really accurately proportioned drawing. You nailed it. Everything looks really good. Um, and maybe I'll find, you know, wow, your focal point did a great job. Like it's really clear. It's obvious. I'm not confused looking at it you're speaking clearly to me Um, and then after I've talked about a couple things that are really positive I'll say you know your proportions are really good but the way that you've applied your value here I'm not getting the sense that there's any sort of structure to it like three-dimensional structure it feels still feeling a little bit of flat uh, flat in this area Uh, you know if you would think about applying um, a little more contrast on the underside or adding more reflected light here or whatnot. And then, you know, hopefully if you've done kind of the sequential type of teaching along the way, you can say, you can say, Hey, uh, you remember when we did this exercise last week, 
and we kind of practiced this specific thing. And do you remember how it looked when you did it this way versus this way? Well, let's think about how we could apply it to this piece that we're critiquing right now. And I wonder what type of effect we could get, you know? Mm-hmm. So kind of a... It's not something coming totally out of the blue. This no, it's, it's... And I think, you know, a being clear with... Expe- that you're trying to yeah, help them apply. Clear expectations, clear goals, and then when you're bringing up those things that could be improved, it's not a, you know, wow, look at that, that really stinks type type way of presenting it. It's more of a, uh, you know, hey, have you thought about, you know, this? And, um, you know, I wonder what it would look like if we did this. It looks a little bit flat. Here's some ideas. And what I really love, especially when you're working with um, kids, is if you can teach them how to give each other feedback and then the ideal scenarios, if you could back away, you just step back and you let them do it. Because if they are p- picking things out and they are commenting on, um, well, have you thought about this? Or have you thought about this? I mean, that's critical thinking. That's what we want them to do without mm-hmm. my interjecting and trying to nudge them to get them to talk. Not leading the witness. Yeah. Not leading the witness. And, and you know, if they're doing it in a way that's civil and respectful mm-hmm. and man, that's a win, right? That's awesome. That's what we, I mean, this, that's the type of stuff we want our kids to be able to do in life, you know, to be able to talk that way with each other. Mm-hmm. So I think, um, frankly, and yeah, frankly, but with love and respect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's kind of how I handle a critique situation and critiques can take a while to do. You know, I've definitely had critiques where no one talks, Oh, you know, I, I tell them to, I'm very frank with them. I say, guys, I, I'm kind of disappointed right now. The whole purpose of this critique is to give each other feedback. Hmm. That's what a critique is all about. Um, so if you sit there and you stare at the floor because either um, a, you don't care enough, which is disappointing, or you're, you're scared to talk or worried about what people will think. I mean, we got to get over that mm-hmm. because it's, it's, we're defeating the whole goal of a critique. So if you definitely have those situations. It just depends on the group. Hopefully you can catch, I find the older people get, sometimes it's a little bit harder to get them to switch their mindset just because, you know, you, if you've mm-hmm. had the same mindset, if I'm working with someone who's 65 years old and they've had the same mindset for 40 years, it's hard to get them to switch. Whereas it's a little bit easier to get a 12 year old or 13 or 14 year old kid to yeah. think differently sometimes about things. Those They're teenagers. So, mental know. lines of habit aren't yeah. as ingrained. Yeah. Okay. What about like self-critique, um, mm. asking those good questions to the student to try to get them to see what you're seeing, but without beating it into them? Like, right. do you like the way you executed this? Mm. Or do you think this is capturing this accurately? What yeah. areas could you do better? Yeah, I think that's a really important thing to, to go over. And I think, you know, it's something that sometimes I forget to, to, to spend more time on with students and this idea of self-reflection on your work. If you're the instructor, you're only with them for so much time and that's it. And yeah. the our, our goal here is to set them up for life, you know, to be able to um, do this as a hobby, make money at it, whatever, um, you know, get all these other extra benefits from doing it. But um teaching them is kind of like teach the boy how to fish instead of fishing for him or something. I don't know. I Mm -hmm. butchered it, but you get, you get the idea. You know, when I sit back in my studio and I look at my stuff um, and I try and do some, uh, a lot of self-reflection on it and um, 
you know, it's funny in my studios in the lower part of our house and our laundry room is down there too. And so my wife will say, Hey, can you, I left that basket down there. Can you go get it? Yeah, sure. I'll go get it. And then 15 minutes later, she's like, Hey, were you going to bring that up? And I'm sitting in front of my easel, staring at my painting for the last 10 minutes. That happens <laughs> no way. more times. Just than staring at it for 15 minutes. Yeah. Through. Just looking yeah. at it, you know, yeah. and, and I'm trying to run through a checklist in my mind. The same thing I talked to my students, concept, design, execution. Where could I be better? Am I, am I communicating clearly enough with the concept? If Dallas walks in without me there, is she going to get what I'm trying to communicate? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, are there issues with the design? And when you're in the heat of, of uh, working on it, you don't think about these things sometimes. You know, like you don't, not from a holistic perspective like that, because I'm up a foot mm-hmm. away from the canvas yeah. working on it and stuff for like three hours. Yeah. And so it's important to have, I think, totally separate time periods. When you walk away the next day, three hours later or something, you come in and I'm, I'm not going to get any materials out. I'm just going to sit and I'm going to look at it and I'm going to run through my checklist and say, okay, does is it doing this? Is it doing this? Is it doing this? You know, and I find that it's really helpful mm-hmm. and I can spot things that I, that I need to fix and revise by doing mm-hmm. that. Um, another thing, I mean, there's, there's a lot of like little pra- really practical things as well. Like looking in, you know, ref- reflecting your work into a mirror looking at, looking at its reflection in the mirror. Hadn't thought know? about that. Because when you, um, to get like the compositional balance. Yeah. So going on, you or... know how, when you work on something for a long period of time, sometimes you, you become kind of blind mm-hmm. to oh, yeah. things, right? Like where it's mm-hmm. like. You know, you come back two hours later, it's like, holy cow, how did I miss that? You know, like the nose is way off or yeah. you know, whatever it is. And so it has to do with changing the way that we're seeing it. So mm. I, there's a lot of professional artists that will actually, they'll have a giant mirror in the back of their studio. And what they'll do is they'll work for a while and they'll, yeah, they'll turn around and look yeah. at the reflection because what that reflection does is it flips it. Yeah. You know, and so you're looking at it in a completely different, from a different perspective. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then sometimes you can spot things instantly that you would never have spotted before, mm-hmm. you know, like, wow, this looks really weird over here, mm-hmm. you know? And so now that I know it looks weird, I'm going to turn back around and look at my painting or drawing or whatever it is. And now I can see why that looks weird. I'm going to fix it. Hmm. Sometimes I don't know why, but if you take a picture with a, like a oh, phone, I have noticed that a, like it looks different. Yeah. It looks completely different. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes it's depressing. Like you think, yeah. wow, this looks great. And then you take a picture of it and you're like, oh, that doesn't look nearly as good as I thought it did. You know, I've had that happen several times. Uh, but, looking back know. on photos of yourself too. Right? Yeah. Whoa, that didn't match. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. But like Betty Edwards talks about um, yeah. flipping things upside down and changing the way you're seeing them and um, little stuff like that can be mm-hmm. super helpful. I know artists back in the day, they would have a black mirror. I was going to bring that up. Yeah. I just recently read about yeah. the black mirror. Yeah. But looking at it to capture uh, the grayscale. Mm-hmm. Yeah. More for values. But it would it would invert the image. Yep. Yeah, yeah, it would invert it. Okay. Um, but it would, it, that black mirror in, in, um, takes a lot of the detail out of it. Yeah. So it's almost like you're squinting at it. And so you're just yeah. seeing big general shapes and values. Mm-hmm. And so you can kind of judge the value scheme. Based mm-hmm. on that, and um, today I don't carry a black mirror with me, but my phone, if it's not on, it's a black mirror. It's <sighs> reflecting everything around me, but doing so in a way that it, yeah, mind right? blown. Pretty cool stuff. <laughs> That's so, neat. Yeah, so your okay, phone. Okay, great tip out great. there for all of you. Yeah. If you didn't 
recently invest in a black mirror from the 19th century. <laughs> right? Just pull your phone out. <laughs> yeah, like, where do you get a black mirror? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was so close to just ordering one on yeah. antique site after I uh, found out about it. Yeah, that'd be pretty Just cool, the history actually. of it, too. Yeah, oh, I love that stuff. Old Which stuff is like also that. something I wanted to mention when you were talking about um, getting your pencil shaved down. Oh, yeah. Just having that extra connection to mm-hmm. something that happened in history that a lot of people don't do anymore. Right. But you're like, I'm doing the same thing that Winslow Homer sat down and Absolutely. did in his studio. It's awesome. And then, come it's... on, I mean, how cool is it when you're walking around <laughs> and you've got these things that look like spears? Yeah. You know, they've got, so usually they'll expose the tip of the graphite, oh. like two or three inches, and then they'll carve wow. down another inch of wood. So it's literally like a dart. <laughs> You know, and you can sharpen these things super sharp with wow. sandpaper. Sharper than you can get it in a pencil sharpener. I believe it. Yeah. Yeah. But it, it uh, teaches, uh, even teaches you to be sensitive with the amount of pressure that you're using your hand. Because if you, when you're exposing the lead by that much, if you press too hard, it breaks. Yeah. So it's like this appreciation too. Of, you know, mm-hmm. it's almost like the whole wax on, wax off. Yeah. You know, like, yep. you know, I, I've actually had high school students that come into my room and they say, I, I've been studying for a test for two hours. Can I sharpen your pencils? No. Yeah, I'm serious. And they'll well, get out an X-Acto knife and they'll sharpen pencils. And it's just something meditative about whittling. it. Whittling. Yeah, whittling. Yeah. So really, so. they should call you Mr. Miyagi? Yeah, well, you know, I wouldn't turn it down. <laughs> yeah, I'd be all right. Sounds pretty important. Oh, great. That's awesome. Yeah, and then another thing I thought of was art communicating without words mm. in your idea of the concept. Yeah. Um, something we do in a Charlotte Mason education is a picture talk or mm. a picture study. Mm-hmm. So we'll look at, say, Miss Libyan Sybil over there. Mm-hmm. We give them a few minutes to look it over, to try to imprint it on their mind, to get them mm. looking around and really taking a picture of it in their mind. Mm-hmm. But then some of the questions that we ask after that period of observation is what, and I'm I'm guessing a lot of these will be in the older forms, but mm-hmm. thinking critically about what is the artist trying to tell you? Mm. What is the idea being conveyed? Yeah. But even if they're not really grasping that out loud, you're still feeding them these ideas in a different way because sure. we talk about ideas coming to us through literature or mm-hmm. explicitly in the pursuit of mathematics or yeah. history, but to kind of get them thinking in ideas that aren't necessarily communicated with words, yeah. like poetry or yeah. music. Yeah. The composer is trying Absolutely. to tell you something. So yeah. I like your idea of really getting that into them, too, that we, we tend to be a pretty verbal mm-hmm. culture. Right. So... I guess, rounding out their whole person by imprinting those ideas in a different way. Yeah. Maybe cultivating their own concepts and things they want to say. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I I think that's huge. That's an awesome idea uh, Mm -hmm. that, you know, that's a big part of the the Charlotte Mason method of doing things. Um, You know, and I try and tell students too, because sometimes when I explain that to students, this, this idea of... What's the message? I think sometimes people automatically go to, it has to be this huge, deep thing, you know, but it doesn't. It can be the way the light's shining off this thing that is so captivating. And so I want to communicate that and Mm. capture that aesthetic experience that I'm having because of that so that the next person can have that experience too, hopefully, Mm -hmm. you know, in some way. Um, You know, when we're talking about critiques, I was looking at your... uh, 
your little uh, Michelangelo there. I'm thinking, wow, I'm looking for something to critique. Yeah, I'm not going <laughs> to critique that. <laughs> I have found one thing. Yeah? Though, I've had it in my bedroom for probably okay. 15 weeks or yeah. so. And there, do you see this little area on the left corner? Uh, right above Libica to the left, there's like a little, not a true line, not a true curve oh, there. Yeah, I see that. And I wonder if he repaired her right foot. I mean, you know how long you... Makes for good podcasting. Right? I know. <laughs> yeah, right here, guys. Right. Don't you see yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no. Look that is fascinating, Michelangelo's Libyan symbol. Look at her foot. Mm-hmm. And look at the area of stone underneath the left of her foot. Yeah, absolutely. And I see a little, I mean... Yeah. To give him credit, he was bent over in a very unnatural position That's for four true. years, yeah. working very hard yeah. on this fresco. Yeah. Oh, man, it just gets me appreciating it more. The more and more I see it. Just... Oh, yeah. You know, and you think about, you know, you're talking about um, nonverbal communication through visuals, you know, like with artwork. And think about in the context of of renaissance rome and this was painted in the you know in the vatican and stuff like everyone was so used to reading paintings like you read a book you know like you know like everything had meaning you know and everyone just it was just commonplace to understand the messages that were being communicated you know Um, or maybe they were illiterate oh sure yeah maybe they couldn't read and that was how they Mm -hmm. dealt with ideas and learned about things yeah yeah it's really kind of interesting it is. I find it interesting that you can, um, you know, when we talk about an aesthetic experience that someone can have when you see a vista from the top of a mountain or something like that. That's just amazing um, that like with painting, for instance, you're literally just pushing around piles of ground up pigment that's mixed with oil. But yet you can recreate almost recreate that experience. Mm-hmm. Isn't that incredible? Yeah. Like it's it's almost like magic. Yeah. You know, you think about it, it's like this magical yes. thing that happens that it's like, whoa, it's amazing. I know I've stood in front of some huge paintings. Like there's a big painting. Uh, one of my favorite artists is Frederick Church. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was an artist. Pauses in the 19- to write that down. Right. Yeah. He's a Frederick 19th Church. century American artist. Uh, one of the biggest, most famous artists in the mid 19th century in America. And he did these huge landscape paintings and he over dramatized mm. it and it just Hudson River School type stuff. And, oh, sure. Okay. Yeah. And oh, wait. Church? Church is his <gasps> name. Okay. Yeah. I think I read about him. Yeah. In it's, little it's possible. Look over there. And he, uh, his paintings would be 10 feet wide by, I mean, just enormous. They would be like what you would like experience at like an IMAX theater now, you know, just huge. I'm sure that blew people's minds. Yeah. And I, uh, man, I walked in front of this piece that I had seen and studied about for so long. And it was just like, I was stunned, you know, you get goose goosebumps and you stand in front of it. And it's like, you're having this react physical reaction to it. Yeah. You know, like it's, it's incredible, you know, and like having artwork, you know, it's just paint, but yet this artist has rearranged all of this in just the right way that your brain sees it and fires Mm -hmm. off whatever chemicals that cause you to have that aesthetic response, you know? Or spiritually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Non-chemically. Right. It's like, that's a, art touches the emotions. Yeah. In a unique way. Mm-hmm. Did he over-exaggerate the sky? Is there much more sky in his than trees and ground? Normally, um, I mean, it depends on the piece, but I wouldn't say he had, has a ton of sky. It's okay. more, usually a little bit heavier with the terrain. Okay. Um, he was really interested in a uh, German 
um, naturalist called Alexander von Humboldt. Okay. He's a very, you know, von Humboldt I name. Think, I think he talks yeah, about Yeah, well, he was huge in Humboldt. the 19th century yeah. mm-hmm. um, and had a lot of ideas about nature and stuff like that. Okay. And um, I, I could be wrong on this, but I want to you say... Can't. You can't be wrong? <laughs> I think that he was kind of like the opposite viewpoint of like a Charles Darwin, whereas a Charles Darwin oh, was yeah. very into the, you know, evolution, mm-hmm. everything is... Um, the non-spiritual side of things. And Alexander von Humboldt was more on the spiritual side of things, like, mm. you know, studying nature and seeing design in nature and appreciation for God and his creation and that type of thing. Yeah, Church uh, was really into his writings, and, and he focused a lot on um, almost... If you look at a big church painting, it's almost like a whole bunch of scientific illustrations jammed into a one giant landscape painting because hmm. he was extremely precise about... This little plant over here, you know, it it was accurate. A lot of times, so he would have these um, exhibitions in New York City, and he would so back then as a form of entertainment, an artist would would go on a trip in the summer, and mm-hmm. they would gather all this information, do all these studies, take it back to their studio in New York City, and all winter they would work on this huge painting from like their studies. One, from their studies. And a lot of times they wouldn't let people in to see it. It was hush hush, and so anticipation would build. You know, what's he doing? What's he doing? And uh, and then the next spring they would unveil it. And Church was known for being quite the businessman, so he would rent out a room, and he would charge admission to come see his painting. And he would light it a certain way. Oh. And he would. Um, so he did this huge painting That's called cool. Yeah Heart of the Andes, massive painting at the Metropolitan Museum now. But he actually had tropical plants from it was a scene from the andes mountains and so he'd have tropical plants shipped in and he had them set up around the painting had a huge custom frame (laughs) and they actually have the frame pictures of like what the frame looked like and it was made so that there was like one point perspective going into the picture because he wanted you to feel like there was it was so huge when you stood in front of it you actually were like encompassed in it wow so you're being transported and then he would charge admission the room would be dark, it would be lit, and then he would give, as part of your admission, you got a brochure, and the brochure would say, like, this over here is this plant, and this over here is this plant. It's a natural and history the, exhibition. It is, and this is, like, the uh But also some theatrical, like, Oh, yeah, super dramatic. Very yeah. experience, almost what you would think of, like, performance art. Yeah, almost, yeah, yeah. And he would even have little binoculars that people would literally look at because they could see the minute detail. The... Yeah, and then he would... It'd be on exhibition for a month, and he'd pick it up, and they'd go to Philadelphia and put it on exhibition. Wow. And they'd go to London, and then he'd get prints engraved of it and sell the prints. And I mean, great business person. <laughs> yeah. Fascinating. Very good on the marketing end. Yeah. In the excitement building. Right. <laughs> cool. Sorry, well, that was a little bit you of a listen. No, there, that's great for the listeners out there, so they can look up these. Yeah amazing people of the past and appreciate what they had to say yeah well neat thanks again for having a side conversation sure and for being here today thank you very much yeah loved loved uh talking with you and hope we can do it again sometime for sure all right be brainstorming all right we'll do some topics okay all right well thank you all for joining me again on the podcast and i hope to see you soon bye-bye